The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A very, very warm welcome to Scorebox. These are your headlines. We partnered with the most thoughtful, accomplished and award-winning group of creative visionaries who have ever come together in one place to create a new service, Apple TV Plus. Apple unveiling a TV streaming service to compete with the likes of Netflix and Amazon Plus, a credit card, new service and gaming bundle. Theresa May suffers another defeat in Parliament after MPs seize control of the Commons agenda in an unusual move that will allow lawmakers to vote on alternatives to the Prime Minister's Brexit deal. Japanese stocks rebound while Chinese shares extend losses amid global growth fears. As Stan Chark CEO Bill Winters tells CNBC exclusively that a recession is not on the cards. Things feel okay right now. So, so we know that the global economy has slowed, but there are signs of a, of a bottoming out and beginning to pick up. There are signs in China, uh, there's signs in Europe, I would say more tender. Uh, in Europe, but th this idea that we were in a uh, in a straight line to a recession, you know, sometime next year, looks m less likely today. Uber is expected to buy Dubai-based arrival Kareem in a multi-billion-dollar agreement that would mark a major milestone for tech deals in the Middle East. Good morning, everyone. A slight rebound taking place in some of the Asian markets today after a fairly steep pullback uh, the previous session. The Nikkei bouncing 451 points as Tokyo stocks put 2% plus back on the boards. A uh, big reversal in trade yesterday's investors were stewing over the inverted yield curve in the states that flashed up Friday's session and also sent Wall Street lower. So investors wondering whether that is a precursor, an indicator, a symbol that recession could be lurking down the track. And a lot of markets uh, have seen very solid, very sharp gains since late last year. So there has been a bit of a hand back amid some of these fears. You are still seeing patches of red around the Chinese markets. Hong Kong down about 59 points or two tenths of a percent, nearly one percent lower for Chinese stocks still in contrast to Australia trying to push into the green. So a slightly patchy session playing out in the afternoon now across the Asian region. Let me take you to those US markets, which did manage to eke out a small gain after you saw that uh, the special counsel, Robert Mueller, found no collusion on the part of President Donald Trump with Russia in uh, the coming up to the 2016 election. What you did have, though, for the rest of the day was a, a choppy market as well, again related to this inverted yield curve as investors were fearful of the economic dynamics. The Dow managing to push higher by the finish just 14 points or less than a tenth of a percent, a negative finish for the S&P 500 down by two points, as uh, you saw more red really flash up on that market. And when it comes to the Nasdaq, down by a similar tune, five odd points or less than a tenth of a percent. So reversal is what took place. Uh, I want to show you those yields as well. Well, uh, currently this morning we have seen a little bit of movement as well. The, uh, the yield on the um, notes you can see uh, have been pushing towards some of the lows on the fives, the tens, the thirties, right across the board yesterday. But we've still seen enormous focus on even the shorter time frame than this three-month T-bills versus the 10-year that has seen the uh, three-month 
level move above the 10 years. So investors now closely watching a Treasury auction this week, uh, a series of them actually, to see what the outcome is going to be and whether that does suggest there are nerves out there in the credit market and that there could be some form of downturn coming. I want to take you to the, uh, the S&P tech sector. One of the real beneficiaries last week of this risk on sentiment as the Fed removed those two rate hikes to replace them with zero for the rest of this year. Tech was a beneficiary on the back of that. But you can see uh, so far it uh, is weathering a little bit of weakness in session. It was down four tenths of a percent taking back a little bit from that very heady gain, 17% still year to date. It's uh, been one of the better sectors still for the quarter, despite being the laggard in uh, session yesterday. But again, enormous focus around what Apple was launching with its new streaming service. And uh, that had uh, some mixed fortunes for stocks in the sector. We partnered with the most thoughtful, accomplished and award-winning group of creative visionaries who have ever come together in one place to create a new service unlike anything that's been done before. Apple TV Plus. Remember those words, unlike anything that's ever been done before. Why don't you remember that? Apple has unveiled a series of new digital services, including TV streaming, an expanded new subscription service, and even a credit card. Elizabeth, you're going to talk us through all this as well, but why? And this is the question I think everybody, every viewer, every analyst, every investor, uh, and every subscriber will want to know. Is it unlike anything that's ever been done before? We're all asking that question. You're going to take it away. You're asking that question early read here on that answer to that question is it's a lot of what we have already seen before. But let me walk you through. We can we can let some of the viewers think for themselves here. Now, the Apple TV announcement was huge yesterday. A lot of anticipation to this event as it focuses on services, shifts away from hardware, and decides that it is going to try to get its revenue into this higher margin business on its pre-installed base of 1.4 billion devices all around the world. This was a star-studded event, including celebrities like Steven Spielberg, Reese Witherspoon, even Oprah made an appearance at the end. And this was all for the big reveal of the Apple TV Plus streaming service, sort of the main event here. Now, this is Apple's original programming. The company has invested $1 billion in original programming. We didn't get any new information on how much it plans to invest going forward or on how much this service will cost. So some key details actually missing from this announcement yesterday. What we do know is that Apple has a new TV app that's been revamped to include some more channels, including HBO, CBS All Access, and Showtime. The app itself has also been revamped in a way that the company calls more user-friendly and how you navigate across it. That will be pre-installed on your Apple devices and will also be available on Macs later this year. Now, we also got the News Plus service. This is a new streaming uh, subscription that includes more than 300 publications, mostly magazines, but a couple other big news names like the Wall Street Journal. This is the one thing that we got pricing for, and the pricing starts at $9.99 a month. A little bit of division over what this is going to bring, though, given that some of the details that came out after the event is that you won't get full access to some of those new services with that $9.99 fee. The Apple Card was maybe the announcement that caused the most buzz. This was a little bit uh, unexpected in some of the details. This is a card that's built into the iPhone, also a titanium card, physical card itself if you want it. Partnership with Goldman Sachs to back this card and the MasterCard is the um, issuer. It'll be a 2% cash back on purchases that you make through Apple Pay. So the idea here is that you can use 
Apple to make purchases, that you can, can never have to leave that ecosystem of your Apple wallet. And this is, of course, a huge space that Apple is now pouring into, into the fintech sector. Final announcement was Apple Arcade. This is a gaming subscription service. Includes over 100 exclusive games from Apple, from major studios, as well as some, from some independent studios. This will be available across devices, but again, no pricing there. Availability will be later this year. Apple saying it'll be available in a lot of countries, but missing some of the key details. So we'll be looking out there. Overall sentiment, Steve and Karen, is that this might have been a little bit underwhelming. We did see Apple's stock drop yesterday in the wake of this announcement. We know that the anticipation was high and investors seem to have some lingering questions after all of these reveals yesterday. Elizabeth, uh, come back over here and we'll uh, broaden out the conversation. I'm not sure investors knew what to do with the announcement yesterday. I want to bring in Paolo Pescatori, tech, media and telco analyst, PP Foresight. Paolo, let's just go to the services side of this business now because there is a feeling that Apple and, and the industry might be peak smartphone. If that is the case, it does tell you how pivotal it is to try and execute on services. This is currently about 18% of Apple's business. The margins on services almost double that on hardware. So it's super important for for Apple to have a good turnout on this type of announcement. What did you make of it? Um, good evening, uh, good morning. Um, certainly, without a shadow of a doubt, um, it represents a landmark moment for Apple. Um, it was a major event solely focused on services, and it clearly underlines a growing and strong focus on services as a future source of, of revenue growth. And in essence, if you look at what was announced, Apple is effectively trying to become a Netflix of everything in services, whether that's music, news, uh, magazines, and video and games. And, you know, let's be honest here, you know, Apple is on the journey. It's certainly been building towards putting the capabilities in place. And the rollout now of these new subscription-based services certainly paves the way for the introduction of new business models. So, you know, we could see a point in time where, you know, Apple introduces an all-you-can-eat bundle, very similar to Amazon Prime. You know, also in the future, we might even see users pay for a service bundle and, argue, you know, you can receive a new iPhone every year. So they're putting the building blocks in place. Yes, there's a lot of questions that remain unanswered, but there's certainly lots of opportunities ahead for Apple. There were a lot of comparisons to Google, to, to Netflix and where Apple might be trying to eat their lunch. Let me just bring up a couple of others that jumped out to me. WeChat. We know Facebook in recent times has been trying to pivot towards this Asian model where you consolidate everything on their content purchases. I wondered whether Apple was going after that platform dominance with almost its own version of a WeChat. And the other thing that jumped out to me was around content because the fact that it's now combining original content uh, with shows from other networks, to me this said that Apple got around the consolidation of content without paying really much on the premium side. And you think about all those deals in the sector from AT&T, Time Warner, to the likes of Disney uh, taking over some of the Fox assets. I felt as though Apple really went with a disruptive model yesterday, which could take on the content side. So do you want to come back at me on some of those points? Yeah, so I think certainly on, on, on the con content side, let's be clear right now, with all of these various channels to market and the rush um, to jump on the Netflix bandwagon, you know, for sure, it's a great time to be a content and media owner. The value firmly reside, uh, resides in, in great storytelling. And, and that's something that Netflix has done extremely well. It's understood uh, consumer purchasing behavior and actually built great shows. And that's what Apple is trying to do. And, you know, they have this vision 
you know, like many others out there, but there needs to be that kind of one-stop um, shop destination for all of your content needs. But the reality is, um, yes, you know, Apple is trying to do it. It's making baby steps. But the reality is right now that you still need to go to different sources uh, to be able to get all of your content needs. So the focus is very much on entertainment, documentaries, and kids' shows. But what do you do around sport? So there was nothing around live sport. Does that mean that Apple at some point in time will invest heavily in sports rights or make an acquisition of its own? So it's putting the building blocks in place um, to, in order to put itself in a position where in some cases may compete, in other cases may be complementary to the likes of Netflix. Paolo, one of the biggest questions after yesterday's event was around pricing. We didn't see any pricing for the, especially for the streaming service. And we know that Apple's invested $1 billion in content compared to $5 billion from a Netflix. So where do you expect that this pricing will come in and, and how much will it need to um, up kind of those numbers in order to be competitive here? Well, it, Apple seems to be quite consistent in terms of its pricing for some of its subscription services for around $10 a month. So I, I guess the bets would be around that type of uh, price point. But, you know, it's throwing some serious cash, not to the same levels uh, like Netflix, but in time it will have to get to that point in order to compete with Netflix. The, uh, the concern that I have is if some of these blockbuster shows that they're trying to recreate with these big talents um, aren't as successful, what does that mean then for the, the new TV service? And you know, arguably, uh, long term, uh, Apple probably needs to make a significant acquisition in this place, um, such as a studio. Paolo, thank you very much for joining us. Paolo Pescatore, tech media and telco analyst, PP Foresight. Do you want to jump in, Steve? There's something you want to say about this? Yes. Yeah. Well, I don't think we've got time. But I, 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 the only thing I was going to say is um, they can't all be winners. I don't believe for one minute that everyone can be winners. I don't believe NBC, Disney, Warner, Netflix, Amazon, Google, Apple. And I think this is an extraordinary offering. I think, it, as the gentleman just said there, trying to become is the operative word as well. I watched the space with Beatty Brown. I do not believe that everybody will come out in their current position but with this. the question is whether Apple didn't put itself in pole position now. I think if you had any one of these individual four announcements, Apple Arcade, the card, the TV Plus, uh, and, the, and the news service, if you put any one of those out announcements out on their own, possibly the news would be the biggest, uh, you know, most exciting thing. But Goldman Sachs just launched a credit card. They've just launched something called Marcus. There's a lot of cashback cards out there as well. I think they're relying on the ecosystem. I think they're relying on the stickiness of a lot of the people using those devices. The only thing I will say as well is I have an Apple device. I have several Apple devices and I have no problems. In fact, beautiful ease of using all the other services on there as well. Why would I turn to Apple for extra services? I'll go back to the WeChat model that you've seen in China. And we've been talking yeah. about Facebook's potential to try and execute that change. I think Apple just went after it yesterday, trying to consolidate on, on one screen, one page, so, which is the whole services side from the absolutely. credit card business. Look, and we, we were talking offline about whether you trust Facebook, right? Whether you want to put more of your banking details on there. I think Apple's trust factor is much higher. So sure. they could do it, whereas Facebook might struggle. Oh, yeah. A lot of digs at Facebook in the event yesterday. A lot of mo focus about how they are all about privacy and they're secure and they would no. never read Apple your messages. Apple is a phenomenal company. It is not for me to say they will not succeed at this. I am not qualified to say they will not succeed at this. All I'm saying is one thing that people love about Apple over the years is they've been the leader. They've been the innovator. They've had the best, the fastest, the, the, the 
the first. Now they're following what everyone else is doing in a whole load of ways. They're, they're, they're jazzing up as it's really different, but I'm just wondering, apart from the aggregated on that installed base of devices, what is the difference here? And I, just, I don't know. I'm just going to ask the question. One thing is sure is that this is about a collaborative phrase between tech companies, and even Apple now has gone down that path. Coming up on the show, the UK government suffers another defeat as MPs vote to take back control of Parliament. More from Westminster when we return. UK Prime Minister Theresa May's government has suffered another defeat after British lawmakers voted to seize control of Parliament uh, for a day. Oh, well. A motion tabled by Conservative MP Oliver Letwin will allow lawmakers to hold a series of indicative votes on alternative Brexit proposals this Wednesday. Uh, Willem is in Westminster. Willem, uh, again, all options from Brexit, no Brexit, hard Brexit, general election, second referendum. Everything is still on the table and that's got to be worrying. Yeah, so last night was a vote on votes, essentially, Steve. And what we saw was 30 members of the Conservative Party vote against the government, three of those ministers in the UK. When a minister disagrees with government policy and decides to vote against it, the typical protocol is that they then resign their position. And that's what's happened. Three of these ministers have actually resigned. So Theresa May is once again hemorrhaging members of her own government. What this vote was designed to do last night was to enable, essentially, Parliament to take control of parliamentary business tomorrow. And what they're planning to do is to hold a series of votes, binary up or down votes, on a number of different Brexit proposals, including some of those that you just outlined. And what that will then mean is that there'll be political pressure on the Prime Minister, on the government, to pursue the course of action for which there is a majority. These will not, though, be legally binding. And the Prime Minister, in a statement before the vote, made clear that she had reservations about this voting system. Take a listen. I must confess that I am sceptical about such a process of indicative votes. When we've tried this kind of thing in the past, it's produced contradictory outcomes or no outcome at all. <laughs> there, is, there is a further risk when it comes to Brexit, as the UK is only one half of the equation, and the votes could lead to an outcome that is unnegotiable with the EU. No government could give... No government could give a blank cheque to commit to an outcome without knowing what it is. So I cannot commit the government to delivering the outcome of any votes held by this House, but I do commit, but I do commit to engaging constructively with this process. So those are the concerns the Prime Minister outlined. One that she did not address, and she actually refused to really answer a question about this directly, was what would she do if a Brexit solution she did not like, such as membership of the customs union inside the European Union was put forward. What would she do in such a scenario? She didn't have an answer to that question. And there are clearly some political restrictions on a lot of the MPs who'll be voting on this tomorrow night, even those who are outside of government. That's essentially the fact that 75% of this parliament voted for Remain, and there will be Remain-related options on the table, by which I mean things like the revocation of Article 50, potentially, as well as potentially just a reversal of Brexit altogether through the form of a second referendum. But that of those 75% who remain, 80% of Parliament, and this is a really striking fact, belong to parties, either Labour or Conservative, who campaigned in the last general election on the idea of executing Brexit, delivering on Brexit. A lot of those have been talking about the difficulties they're going to have voting for an alternative course of action in terms of their conscience, Steve. Ten seconds. Can you see a scenario where Mrs May steps down in the next two weeks? 
that's obviously going to be a possibility. And, and we've seen a lot of pressure building on her from inside her own party. She has made clear just a week or so ago that she did not see herself as Prime Minister if Brexit was extended beyond June 30th. So that's one of the possibilities that comes up tomorrow. If that's something that's forced upon her, then there's every chance that she will be good to her word there. Excellent. Thank you, Bill. And thank you for being so succinct. Right, another big story. Elsewhere, France and China signed 15 commercial deals worth billions of euros during Chinese President Xi Jinping's visit to Paris. Airbus secured an order of 300 jets from Beijing for an estimated 30 billion euros, while French energy firm EDF will build an offshore wind farm in China. Despite the agreements, French President Emmanuel Macron pushed back against China's Belt and Road Initiative and urged the EU to be more robust in trade negotiations with Beijing. And trade talks between the US and China are resuming this week. US Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer and Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin will travel to Beijing on Thursday to meet with China's Vice Premier Li her. Let's get out to Eunice for more in Beijing. Eunice, there's a history of China inking big deals around aircraft. Now this one around Airbus has been quite interesting because does it send a message that perhaps 200 to 300 odd purchases of Boeing aircraft may not be forthcoming now with the Americans uh, after we saw the grounding of that 737 MAX 8 airplane on the back of the Ethiopian's crash? Well, it's difficult to say that there is a clear link, but as you had pointed out, historically, China has made uh, major purchases in order to to send uh, diplomatic signals. So it could be a possibility, and I'm sure that um, the people, the folks over at Boeing are are reading it with with some concern, uh, because as you had said, a Boeing had hoped that as part of a, the larger trade deal between the U.S. and China, that um, some of their aircraft would be used, uh, would be uh, bought here in China, and in fact. In fact, a lot of uh, people who watch the relationship between the U.S. and China say that uh, the trade deficit can't be bridged without greater purchases of Boeing planes. So the U.S.-China trade relationship has been um, of much discussion here in uh, China, and largely because there's a huge conference that took place over the weekend that uh, brought in a lot of um, high-level officials, economists, as well as business people. And um, one of the, the, the general feeling among a lot of the people there is that there will be a deal but what's unclear is to whether or not that deal will really lift uncertainty the way investors want. This is what uh, former American diplomat Kurt Campbell told CNBC. Chinese negotiators want to go to the United States with a nearly complete deal in which they can essentially present to President Xi. This is what we've agreed to and the presidents will sign on the line. Mm-hmm. President Trump's negotiators, on the other hand, understand how deeply unpredictable President Trump is. Mm. He's already neglected or, you know, rejected earlier versions of a deal, and he wants to put his own mark on a final set of negotiations. And so the goals of the uh, negotiators is different. I think the United States wants a little bit more maneuver room for the very last. Mm. Chinese friends want to lock it down before any meeting uh, takes place between the two leaders. And my sources are telling me that still a lot of work needs to be done when uh, Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin and Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer come here to Beijing. The language, I'm told, within the text of the deal is still very vague, undefined. And also the big question that a lot of people have is just how enforceable is this deal really going to be? And the fear is that the Americans could end up in arbitration and negotiations um, over weeks, months, perhaps over years over um, whether or not the Chinese are, are meeting certain criteria. 
in this deal. And so that, along with the fact that uh, there's still a lot of questions as to um, the circumstances under which tariffs may or may not be included in this trade deal, um, just uh, raises the risks that uh, the uncertainty that we're seeing in the markets that's plaguing a lot of investors uh, won't go away anytime soon. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.